Hey everybody, welcome to the Spliff Podcast. I'm Bo Nellis and this is episode 46. We're going to talk about the difference between RSO and CBD oil, specifically cannabis concentrates. But first, I like to open things up with a segment I call Stoner Moments. And last week, we talked about using cannabis for acne and certain facial skin conditions like rosacea. And I said that I believed that CBD was treating my acne in a way that topical application couldn't even touch, uh, to be punny about it, um, when I would eat CBD, specifically the CBD THCA concoction that I made with coconut oil. And I'm also pretty sure that the CBD concentrate I was using, it was a CO2 extraction, is high in linalool because when I would try to dab it, it tasted like a dryer sheet, which is not my preferred taste when I'm dabbing. Some people love that shit and I'm like, to sleep on, sure, but to dab, not so much. Um, So I don't know if it's CBD exactly, if it's the CBD linalool combination, if it's the CBD THCA linalool combination, It could be a number of things, but I know that this specific combination has been treating both my uh, premenstrual cramping and pain, my emotional stability, and also my acne. So over the last week, I have been trying to make sure that I take it every single day, and um, my, my skin has been fantastic. Now, the last few days right before the podcast, I really wanted to push it. So I got kind of gross with it. I went to yoga and I sweat buckets and I didn't wash my face afterwards. And uh, several hours later, I noticed that I was developing uh, a pimple right in the middle of my forehead, which is very normal for me. But instead of pouring a bunch of anti-acne stuff on top of it or washing my whole face and doing the whole spa routine with it. All I did was I made sure to take my CBD concoction. And several hours later, I noticed that I had reduced in size by at least half. And I was like, that's fantastic. Um, But I noticed that I had developed some acne uh, lower in my face, uh, closer to my jawline. So I took some more CBD And I did use a towelette to go to bed, uh, or or I should say I used a moist towelette before I went to bed the second night. Um, But the first night, I didn't wash my face before bed at all. In fact, I even slept in my makeup. And my skin is fantastic today. Um, But I didn't do anything crazy with it. I really did the most basic skincare possible. With the exception of I used CBD, THCA concoction as an edible to fight my acne. And it's, I mean, I am so over the moon about it. My skin is fantastic looking right now. My emotional stability is pretty, pretty even. Uh, I'm getting things done. Uh, If you've been following along, you know I've been going through some emotional things in my life right now. And, uh... And things are picking up. I'm I'm not delving deeper into a depressive state, which is really common for me with my depression that I treat with cannabis. And I just love it. I really feel like this 
This isn't just medicine. This is a vitamin. This is something I should be taking every day for my optimal health. Because this entire month, I haven't had menstrual cramps. I haven't had pain from ovarian cyst. Uh, It's really helped my emotional health at a very emotional time in my life. And my fucking face is goddamn glowing at a point where it normally looks like shit. When I even had a few beers for the first time in several months. So you can't. You can't dissuade me that this shouldn't be in everything. I love it. Unfortunately, I only have enough of the CO2 oil to make about two more weeks worth of doses if I don't double up on it as much as I have been for uh, for the acne experiment. Though I will say I was taking less of the CBD oil and cutting it with some more of the Sue's so I could take more of it throughout the day. So instead of taking one 10 milligram dose of CBD all at once, when I doubled up for the acne fighting, uh, when I was really pushing myself with it, I, I did take probably closer to six milligrams the first time. And then I think I probably took another five or six milligrams the second time. So a little bit more than I normally would have, but I also could have cut that even more if I had wanted to. And it worked really successfully. And since we're going to be talking about concentrates this episode, I really want to stress how important it is to, instead of taking just one large dose, it can be much more beneficial to taking smaller doses throughout the day in order to make things more tolerable and in order to accommodate our metabolism that is specific to us. Some people may find that one small dose could last them 36 hours before it really starts to wear off. And other people are like six hours, they definitely need another dose. And that's going to be a big part of this. Your metabolism Uh, really comes into play. And oh, I should probably have a podcast on metabolism and bioavailability. So I'll put that one in the notebook. Um, But in the meantime, if you don't know much about cannabis or medicinal marijuana or edibles in particular, because the concentrates that I'm going to be talking about today are primarily going to be used as an edible I do have an episode on edibles. I also have episodes on the difference between THCA and THC, uh, which is decarboxylation. I'll have uh, comments on things like laboratory testing. So if you want to find out more about that, you can do so in iTunes or my website, thespliffpodcast.com. That's two F's, two T's, no D. And there's a search bar if you want to look for something specific. So, or you could just scroll through it. Enjoy all my my clever witty writing that I come up with when I'm very stoned at the very last minute. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so lit. I got to get this out. Like I'm going to be doing at the end of this. Yay. Pressure making diamonds, I hope. I hope. If you think I'm making diamonds, feel free to leave me a review on iTunes or a comment on the website or reach out to me on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, at the Spliff Podcast or at Spliff Podcast. Again, two F's, two T's. There's no D in there. And uh, 
Well, I guess it fits the spliff podcast. That's three T's, isn't it? Really? Duh. Oh, well. I love that shit. And if you have some constructive criticism to throw my way too, I'm absolutely open to that. And if you uh, think that I'm a shitty woman who's probably just fucking PMSing, go bitch about it on Grass City or something. I really don't care. But I mean, if you really need to, you could let me know that too. So whatever, I could take it. All right, let's talk about some concentrates. Now, first, I just want to clarify the difference between RSO and CBD oil, because a lot of times the terms are used interchangeably, and it becomes very confusing for a lot of people what exactly they're talking about. When it comes to RSO, aka Rick Simpson oil, aka Phoenix Tears, aka THC concentrated oil, It's really more talking about the process that is used to make the final product than it is necessarily talking about the specific final product. Whereas CBD oil really refers to the composition of the final product, no matter how it's made. So those are the very basics of what those differences are. And I'm sorry it took you so long to get into the podcast to figure it out if you just came here for that. But but welcome. Now you're here. Let's talk about it some more. Now, another one of the differences that I want to say is traditionally Rick Simpson oil refers to a product that is high in THC. But the process that is used to create that product can also be used with a plant that is high in CBD in order to make a final product that is also specifically CBD rich. Now, when it comes to the cannabinoid profiles, and cannabinoids are THC, CBD, THCA, they're the whole alphabet soup that uh, comes into the conversation surrounding cannabis, uh, which are responsible for tapping into the endocannabinoid system, which is another podcast that I have out there if you need to know more about that, which is what is responsible for regulating physiological systems in our body and which can be directly influenced by the cannabinoids present in the cannabis plant. The cannabinoid profile of a concentrate oil can have a wide range. It can be rich in both THC and CBD with a ratio of one to one. Say you have a one gram syringe of concentrate oil and it is... uh, Sorry, that wasn't me farting. If you heard something, that was uh, construction outside. And one of the reasons this podcast is getting out so late this weekend, if you've been waiting for it, or this week. I don't know why I said this weekend. I'm just going to take a quick pause and I'll come back. It's funny. Sometimes I don't know if the sound is going to come across because I'm not really paying attention to the sound waves when I'm talking. I'm paying attention to my notes or I'm just staring at the ceiling or I'm staring at my bong going, what are we like a bong load right now? Maybe I should hit pause and take a bong load. And uh, this break has been nice to hit some golden pineapple in case you were wondering what I'm still smoking on because I love it so much. This is my medicine. It's so good. Now, going back to the range of cannabinoids, 
Uh, there's different terminology that you can use and that you're going to hear if you're looking for these products, specifically CBD products. There's CBD dominant, there's CBD rich. CBD rich can mean that there's anything from uh, a, a detectable amount of CBD in a product to uh, a, a very heavy CBD laden product itself, depending on a large number of factors. CBD dominant generally implies that there is a cannabinoid mixture. However, CBD comes across as the dominant ratio number. And that is the one that most people are going to be looking for. Something that is CBD only, but with very little THC, or CBD dominant in order to counterbalance the effects of THC. Oh, you know, I just realized that I also have a a podcast just about CBD too. If you're wondering more about the effects of CBD and what to expect and and how CBD and THC work together. So if you want to know more about that, absolutely, please check it out. And if you have any questions, you can always sling them my way. But in the meantime, I'm going to kind of gloss over a lot of the entourage effect things that are going to be happening but I'm going to refer to them. Now, there's a variety of ways to make both CBD oil, THC oil, and THC slash CBD oil, something that is rich in both, as well as uh, the other cannabinoids that are available in a whole plant material. But one of the things that is traditional about these types of cannabis concentrates is that they are the activated forms of the cannabinoid. Again, uh, referring back to the podcast on decarboxylation to know the difference between the acidic forms and the neutral forms, we are looking for the neutral forms, which uh, paradoxically are also known as the activated forms. So activated means that it gets it past that blood-brain barrier. Now, a lot of misinformation about CBD being non-psychoactive is used to, to push these products as very safe. And CBD is very safe. Cannabis in and of itself is a very safe product to use. But CBD is not non-psychoactive. It crosses the blood-brain barrier and it produces a mild Xanax-like effect of anxiety reduction and neuroregulation. But depending on your personal metabolism and endocannabinoid system, you can feel a wide range of effects. Most people won't feel stoned They will feel affected, however, that most people, worst case scenario, they just get sleepy. But CBD oil can really range in a lot of different ways. And I'm going to talk more about that after I talk a little bit more about RSO specifically as a cannabis concentrate, because I want to get that distinction down first. Now, RSO is named after Rick Simpson, who is a cannabis advocate, a very controversial cannabis advocate, who uses a very controversial method in order to extract the cannabinoid material from the cannabis plant 
into a concentrated oil. Now this oil can range from anything as a motor oil consistency to a very, uh, very thick paste-like consistency. And there are a lot of different reasons for the, the wide range that you get. One of those is the solvent that you are going to be using. Now, Rick Simpson traditionally uses naphtha, which is very hard to locate in places like California, a little easier to locate in more remote farm-laden and uh, industrial, uh, less regulated places, we'll put it that way. Um, but its purity can be questionable. And traditionally, Rick Simpson oil is made to eat. It is not a dabbable material. It is not something you want to put on a bowl and smoke. It can be very irritating to the lungs and the throat. Now, instead of naphtha, a lot of people, because it is an edible material, try to use an edible solvent. And there's a lot of chemistry that goes into... Uh, figuring out the different types of solvents and what works best and why they work best. And it is out of this basic RSO understanding that led to, uh, you know, the, the, the concentrates that do become vaporized and BHOs and, and how we understand, um, and terpenes and whole plant material and, and into live resin. And it's been an amazing, incredible, incredible ride. Um, so it still comes down to, to using a solvent to pull the cannabinoids from the whole plant. And in order to make something that is more tolerable to the digestive system, you want something that is intended to be eaten. And so a high proof alcohol, specifically something like Everclear or an ethanol alcohol or ethyl alcohol is going to be used in order to pull the cannabinoids out. A lot of times this will pull a lot of chlorophyll material out to the grassy material and that can be really irritating to the digestive system as well. But it's one of the more effective ways to do it. And when it is cut with something, it's generally only cut with water, which makes it much more tolerable when you don't purge it entirely. So uh, if you're making this at home, that happens a lot. And, and, and there's a lot of failure out there. But there's also a lot of success. So don't let failure stop you from trying. Especially if you can get your hands on some high-grade alcohol. Edible alcohols. Now, plenty of people will use non-edible alcohols in order to make this too. And I would say that's your discretion. Um, I've certainly tried it in order to dab and also to eat. And I didn't have the greatest time. It was... Not my favorite. I have made RSOs with uh, Everclear-like materials, and that was much more enjoyable and much easier. Now, once you have your solvent and you have uh, created your mixture of cannabis, you're going to strain the material, and then you heat it in order to evaporate your solvent. 
And this is one of the reasons why naphtha and more volatile solvents are so preferred by people who like to make concentrates is because that volatility makes them easier to purge off a lot of times if you do it correctly. Something that has more additives to it and specifically more water is going to be harder to purge out because water can be hard to evaporate before you destroy the cannabinoids that you have just pulled out. And the heating process that is used in order to evaporate off this solvent is what essentially activates the cannabinoids that you have pulled out. It's what decarboxylates those cannabinoids and turns them into their neutral form, which will then allow them to cross the blood-brain barrier. Now, the level in which they do this is going to be different for everyone. And when you have just the oil, it isn't as bioavailable as it will be to cross that blood-brain barrier and get you very stoned as... If you mixed it with an alcohol again, or more traditionally, another type of oil, coconut oil or olive oil or hemp oil are the three biggest ones that I know of. Thinner oils like grapeseed oil and sesame oil are used for tinctures, but for concentrates and syringes, a thicker oil tends to be mixed with a uh, the RSO style concentrates. Now, sometimes on these trips to look for CBD oil, you're going to see hemp oil also listed. You're going to see um, a lot of fancy terms and and uh, brand names for different types of concentrate oils. And they will both be mixed with small amounts of other oils to improve their viscosity. And some of them are going to be more like hemp seed pressed oils that uh, are really just hemp oils that have been made from uh, hemp plants that were grown in Canada or Europe or China. And they have trace amounts of cannabinoids in them, um, but they won't have trace amounts of THC in them, they have trace amounts of the other cannabinoids in them, which is what makes them more legal than THC-laden products. But a lot of times those cannabinoid levels aren't enough in order to address a lot of people's disorders and diseases. They might be enough if you've never used cannabis before and you're really just trying to address some aging issues. Um, it makes a great herbal pseudocol for that. It really can, can be a supplement in a lot of ways, but for people who need actual preventative or curative medicines, they need a much higher concentration. And for that, you're really wanting a, a dark viscous oil. If what they're calling it is an RSO style oil, whether that be THC rich or CBD rich. And you want to make sure that it's a medicinal grade hemp or cannabis oil. You don't want it to be an industrial grade hemp oil. And industrial grade are generally those Canadian, European, Chinese grows. Uh, though the market is changing really, really fast. So I don't want to discredit all of them, 
But when I look for products, I am trying to find a medicinal grade material. And there is CBD products that are available to all 50 states that are medicinal grade via uh, the Stanley Brothers and Realm of Caring. Um, I I think uh, most of theirs are just tinctures, though, and I don't recall there being specific concentrates, though, that I could be totally wrong about that. I could be completely wrong, uh, and I'll probably throw up a link on the website anyway just to double check. So if you want to go to the Spliff podcast, go to this blog and follow it to the Realm of Caring website because I don't think it's Realm of Caring dot whatever. I think it's like the ROC.org or something. It's something not readily what you would guess. Um, but that is the organization that is responsible for the Charlotte's Web phenomenon and all of the, the hoopla with the Gupta and... Uh, you know, really pushing children with epilepsy and adults with epilepsy and um, eventually PTSD and all these things that are really being pushed into the political sphere as a weapon against prohibition. Uh, they're definitely the ones who popularized the idea with their uh, good looks and charm and uh, and and traditional implied uh, Christianesque values. But there's also been a lot of controversy surrounding giving children these cannabis concentrates because everybody's metabolism is different. And that message gets lost a lot uh, also because this is used as both medicine and recreationally. The idea of it being medicine gets lost, and there's been some stupid-ass fucking reports, and I use reports very loosely, that are very misleading about what it is to use cannabis concentrates as a medicine. Because if you are just trying to flood your system with cannabinoids, because let's say you are fighting uh, a cancer, a cancer that isn't free-floating, that uh, is stagnant, but that you can't actually reach specifically. So not something that would you would use just topically as a skin cancer, but uh, something within your body. And so you just needed to flood your entire body with cannabinoids in order to try to address this. You should expect to feel high at some point because you are flooding your entire system with something that gets you high. In quite the same way that if you discovered taking larger amounts of morphine would actually cure your cancer, and so you started taking way more than any dose of morphine you would need for pain you don't feel, you should expect to feel stoned off of that too. And cannabis works that way. The only difference, cannabis actually does something for you without killing you, whereas morphine just kind of blocks all the messages to the point where it might potentially kill you. So Vice had a stupid fucking report and he took the same dosage as a girl with epilepsy. But that girl has epilepsy. She needs medicine. Her body does not work the same way that his does. So you can't discount it as a medicine for her. And you can't say that that dosage was in any way medicinal for him. He would not take any other of her seizure medicines. 
It was a bullshit fucking report, and I cannot stand that guy. I had to listen to a podcast, but then I was like, oh, God, that's a stupid fucking asshole. Am I really going to listen to this right now? Ah! Now, if you mix it with an oil, if you have a concentrate that is mixed with an oil, you are more likely to feel stoned. And I did a little experiment when I was at the Americans for Safe Access Unity 2016 conference where a friend of mine had some Rick Simpson oil and one of them was mixed with a coconut oil and was a little leafier tasting. And there was another one that was a little pastier looking much thicker and uh, was a higher grade concentrate. And so I opted for the higher grade concentrate. And the first day I had a full breakfast. I had had some coffee, but I didn't have a very oil rich breakfast whatsoever. I think I had like oatmeal. I think it just had oatmeal and fruit and coffee. Um, But I took about two to two and a half rice grains on a Cheeto. And that's how I ate it. Now, most people say to start with a grain of rice for a dosage. If you have no edibles experience, I would not even start with that much. I would start with like, honestly, like what you can get on the tip of a toothpick. Um, Not like the teeny tiny dot, but like just get a, like a half a rice grain if that and I mean what are we talking about are we talking about like white rice are we talking uh like different types of brown rice which can be smaller are we talking like basmati rice which is going to be a longer rice I mean let's be real and again it's also going to change depending on uh what the actual concentrate percentage is which I will talk about more too and whether or not it's been cut with something else because if it's been if you have one gram of oil that has been mixed with coconut oil, then chances are it's you don't want to take the same amount of that that you might want to take of one that isn't cut with coconut oil. And I'm going to talk about why. Because when I took it on the Cheeto, um, I definitely felt it hit me. It was, it was, if you've ever done acid or hallucinogenics and uh, there's a period where you're like, I think. I think it kicked in and then all of a sudden like the visuals kick in you're like oh yeah no I'm tripping balls right now that's for sure but there's like a 10 15 minute period where like did that just move or am I am I like am I a placebo affecting myself or did that just move I'm gonna will it to move I can't will it to move yet no maybe I'm not tripping wait did that just move And that's kind of how I felt with the first RSO without any extra oil Um, was I wasn't sure I was high at first. And then all of a sudden I was super relaxed. I was very low in my anxiety and I, uh, I could even, I probably could have taken a nap, but I didn't need to take a nap. And I noticed that there were at least four progressions that that uh, I, I call them cycles. I'm pretty sure that it was metabolic cycles that I went through. And each cycle, 
I got a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more sleepy. And then eventually I was just kind of out of it. And I continued to eat a good lunch. Um, The Unity Conference is very exciting and high energy. And I didn't feel like I missed out on any of that. I didn't feel like I was too stoned to do anything. I felt like I was just laid back enough. I felt like a bra, bra, like... You know, I felt like I was on island time. It was really enjoyable. Now, the next time that I took it, I didn't have uh, any Cheetos. I did have a full breakfast, and I don't recall having any extra dairy or oils in my breakfast outside of the coffee, Uh, same that I did the first time. However, I didn't have the Cheetos, so and I wanted to, to, to boost it up a bit. So I had my CBD-infused coconut oil capsules that I made at home and brought with me. So I put, I didn't want to take the same dose that I had done before because I knew to cut it down. So I did take probably just over a grain of rice, probably like, you know, like a long grain basmati or jasmine rice or something. Took a decent dose, but not as much as the first time, probably like two-thirds of the amount that I had done the day before. And holy fuck balls, did I get fucking high. I got so high. I still had four metabolic cycles. The first one, I was just like, oh, like there was no question if it kicked in. It was like, oh, I just felt that kick in. Um, the second one, it was like a, a little bit of a rush. My head was clear. I was focused. I was still doing stuff. Um, the third one, same thing. Like I was stoned. It was really enjoyable, very recreational, but I didn't feel impaired at all. I'm very used to being stoned. Uh, so it felt like any other edible. The fourth metabolic cycle, however, I was stoned off my ass. I was trying to watch a presentation and every time the guy said a word, I blinked every single time. Do yourself a favor. Every single word I say, blink with me. All right, here's a word. That was three. Blink some more. I was blinking. I did that for probably a straight hour. It was a little unnerving. I could not control it. I could not pay attention to him at the same time that I could pay attention to my blinking. I was like, I'm not going to remember any of this. It's okay. It's okay. You're recording it. You totally pressed record on your phone. I didn't press record on my phone. I didn't record any of it. I can't even tell you which speaker it was because I don't remember enough about it. I was flying a kite high. I was molten lava in my chair stoned. I took too much, man. I took too much. And I learned a very valuable lesson. I'm never taking that much again. And I really know the difference between how it feels with the oil and how much that really boosts your bioavailability. And it's crazy scary. So if you are looking to a cannabis concentrate uh, and you don't want to feel stoned, you really want to make sure that you aren't using any alcohols, you don't have a mixture that has oil in it, and that you aren't having an oil or dairy heavy diet while you are taking this. That's not to say that you shouldn't eat when you're medicating because you should. 
And there will be a period of adjustment because your personal regulation, your up regulation as you get used to the medicine, your down regulation as you adjust to the medicine is going to vary. But unless you have a serious physiological condition that is being regulated by concentrated cannabinoids in your system, yeah, expect to feel high. But don't expect to end up dead. Yay, cannabis. Now, real quick before we go, I want to also mention that there are ways to make both THC oil and CBD oil without that whole Rick Simpson method. And that is the CO2 extraction. Those are activated cannabinoids already. And all you have to do is mix them with an oil if that's your preferred way to use them. If you want that kind of stone feeling or if you need that kind of stone feeling because it, uh, it all creates different medicinal effects. And there really isn't enough information to say that the use of cannabis without that stone feeling isn't therapeutic because all evidence actually points the opposite in my personal experience. So flooding your system with cannabinoids, regardless of whether or not you actually are getting a high out of it, can still be extremely beneficial for a wide variety of reasons. So you have your CO2 oil, that's an option. Uh, you have a wide variety of THC and CBD rich uh, concentrate oils that are made with edible types of alcohols. And then you also have rosin. Rosin is another type of heat extraction that uses a completely different type of pressure than CO2. And in that heat process, you can actually activate a lot of cannabinoids. Now, with the CO2 process and the, the rosin process, it's very unlikely that you'll end up with THCA in the final product as well, but you could also, because some, some of the CO2s are, are dialing it in so that there's more THCA in the final product, but they're far and fewer between. But you get the acidic form and the neutral form, and that can really affect that that different cannabinoid profile can really affect your final medicine too. And that's a really important uh, note to make about the kind of concentrate that you are trying is that if it's whole plant or if it's CO2 refined mixtures, then they traditionally also add terpenes into them in order to make them closer to whole plant uh, especially if they're trying to sell them for dabbing because they just have a better taste to them. And that also really affects the final uh, experience that you get out of the cannabis that will further lend to the fact that you're probably going to feel a wide variety of stoned feelings from it, high or stoned or however you want to call it. Uh, you're going to have a change of perception because those terpenes direct those cannabinoids. Now, if you're looking for a concentrate in the acidic forms, that's when you need a, a process that uses those more volatile solvents so that it can be purged at a lower temperature and you can preserve the carboxyl groups there. And uh, I, I love making my own BHO coconut oil concoctions and you don't get high off of those 
but uh, you can still feel affected if you're very sensitive to the terpenes because they are concentrated terpenes. And using those to eat with can be upsetting to the stomach for some people. And uh, I have to capsulate them because if I just eat them, like if I just stick it on my teeth or something because it's very sticky, it isn't very pleasant. It's it's overpowering, it's pungent, and it because it's so sticky, it's worse than peanut butter. It just stays there for a really long time. So I prefer to capsulate it. And if you are using concentrates, getting yourself some gelatin capsules, or if you're a vegan, non-gelatin capsules, and making it in the moment, um, can really make it a much more pleasant experience to be using the concentrates, whether it's CO2, an alcohol extraction, a BHO extraction, doesn't matter uh, whether it's mixed with coconut oil or not, or olive oil. Some of us just have a way easier time of taking it as a pill. Some people put it in peanut butter. That, again, because of its oil richness, is going to boost its bioavailability through the blood-brain barrier and uh, definitely make it a stonier experience for you. Now, talking about the CO2 and the BHO and the rosin, those are all dabbable concentrates. Those are all concentrates that can be heated up at high temperatures and used uh, as an inhalation medicine instead of an edible medicine. But if you mix it or just eat it straight, uh, or mix it with a coconut oil or some other olive oil or hemp oil or whatever, uh, that is not for vaping anymore. You you should not heat up for inhalation those kinds of oils. Just want to throw that out there. Now, one of the things that I don't like to vaporize myself are the cartridges that have the PG and or the PEG uh, to thin them out. However, all studies show that PG and PEG are perfectly safe to consume. Um, in fact, those are what all the studies are about when they start talking about how safe they are. There's like one study about inhalation and its safety was never really discussed. Um, but I totally use cartridges that I no longer want to vaporize but I've decided I'm not willing to give away that money or throw away that money. I'm going to make it into an edible. And it's a pain in the ass to get the oil out. It requires a lot of attention and some slow heat and patience. Um, but afterwards, you just throw oil in it and it literally, it's just time and, uh, and patience on a scale that actually fits my timeline for patience right before inpatience. It's done. Uh, the concentrate just needs to emulsify into the oil. And uh, thanks to tips from Bad Kitty Smiles, I uh, freeze it and then thaw it and freeze it a couple times in order to really help that process along. And that gives me a bioavailable concentrate that I can use from vape pens that have either broken on me or I no longer care to use for vaping. Now, if you are buying or in the market for some of this oil, doing the math is a really important step. Um, I've talked about vaporization in the cartridges, and I talk about doing the math and trying to get the best bang for your buck out of the way that they market these things. 
And that kind of math is really applicable to the cannabis concentrates, specifically the CBD concentrates, which tend to be really inflated in in medicinal markets. Um, I've seen products that that show one gram of CBD rich oil with 17% CBD. That's abysmal. That is that is truly heinous. 170 milligrams of CBD. And I think they were probably charging like $65 for it at least. Um, It's just abysmal. That's terrible. With no testing to show other cannabinoid ratios complementing what you might be getting or terpene ratios. What you should expect is high chlorophyll uh, metals, additives uh, like the hemp or olive oils, and very little medicine for what you're going to need to take. And for what it's going to cost you, especially depending, again, on your particular condition and metabolism. Some people will take it and they're like, I've never felt younger. And other people take it and it just makes them sick. Um, I personally would always opt for a higher purity product because I can mix oils into it myself if I need to. And I, it's just easier to cut down that way. And I feel it's just a pure product all around. Now, the purest products are distillates, but they are crazy expensive. And truth be told, I still need to know more about them. My experience with them hasn't been great. They're kind of messy. Um, They don't really taste very great. They just make me kind of stoned and meh. Um, but there's a lot of questions I have about them too, because technically they are just crystallized cannabinoids and crystallized cannabinoids tend to be the acidic forms, not the neutral or activated forms. And I do know that like small gentle heat can liquefy the crystals. Um, but I'm not sure if that's then activating them and if it stays liquid, like the CO2 stuff does, because if... CBD distillate is actually CBDA. That would be incredible. And I really need to try and save the money for that. But they're crazy expenses, like $80 for a quarter of a gram of CBD. $80 of what equals roughly less than three grams of CBD rich flour, something like ACDC that tests at 14%. Three grams of that is going to yield you 420 grams of CBD. And it's only going to cost you probably uh, an eighth of ACDC I can get on a good deal for $30 to $60. But in order to distill that and give you just the crystals and everything else, they're going to charge you $80. Fuck my life. I'm complaining about Christmas presents. I know. I know. Uh, Currently, the best deal that I can find, because I am in the market for more CBD oil since I only have two weeks worth left, uh, is about $70 for 69%. And that is a CO2 extraction. Most are at least $90 for roughly uh, 60% or about 600 milligrams of CBD oil that has been CO2 processed. And that really sucks. Um... It's kind of insane for something that I consider to be a daily dietary supplement for optimal health. It's just kind of fucking insane. 
um, on that level, you know, for a plant, it's it's ridiculous. But I can still shop for it and I still have access to it. And that's what I want to talk about as we roll into the ending of safety meetings. Pack it up. I'm going to pack a bowl of my golden pineapple. I love this stuff so much. And I've been terrible too. I did make those pills, but I haven't actually strained the material and encapsulated them yet at all. I'm so lazy. I'm just like, meh. And then with the CBD oil, I've got to say between all the dabbing that I'm doing and the CBD oil, um, I don't feel the need for an edible sativa as much as I did when, when I was really starting this journey. Uh, I feel a lot more even. I feel like it's it's easier to be happier when I smoke a lot and I have been smoking a lot more um, or dabbing a lot more and using the edible CBD and THCA. I have to say that too. So I'm going to smoke this and I'm just going to break down some of the basics of safe access. Delicious. So what does safe access mean? On a very basic level, just my own personal definition, it is some basic legal protections, access to standardized quality products and informed consumers. Now, you rarely ever get all of those together in our current marketplace. And when it comes to legal protections, just to begin with, uh, it's all over the, the, and it's in constant question, of course, because of the federal things, but safe access is incredible. Safe access is a feeling of security that takes away the majority of the paranoia of smoking weed. I have to say, um, 98% of my paranoia when I'm high has gone away every now and then I'm trying to sleep and I'm like, Oh my God, is that a ghost? Oh my God. I'm being haunted right now. Oh my God. Ghosts aren't real. It's okay. And I can't get rid of that thought that it's a ghost. And that that's paranoia that has been induced by cannabis. That is cannabis induced paranoia for sure. But being able to take a bong load in my living room without having to worry about cops coming to my door telling me that they have probable cause and now want to search my entire home, which has happened to me before, that fear has gone away. That paranoia has gone away. And I should clarify, it actually doesn't prevent them from doing and pulling that shit because they pulled it on me while this shit was still legal. It actually... Uh, allows me, one, access to the information that lets me know that they shouldn't be pulling that shit and I can stand up for my rights and tell them that they cannot come in because I have a recommendation, which they can then demand to see and I can show them and they can still take it me for and take it me to court and I can fight for my right there. That's the real legal protection. But in this environment of safe access, that kind of scenario becomes much more relaxed to, I can just say, I'm a patient, here's my rec, and they leave me alone. Just wanted to clarify. They will still try and fuck with you. 
And then, of course, the access is is my favorite part. The fact that I can go shopping for weed, the fact that I can do price comparisons. The patient protection is still pretty slim. Uh, I think in most markets, the patient doesn't have a lot of sway, even with Weed Maps reviews, in the success of a dispensary or in getting any kind of retribution for for being uh, taken by business owners. If you don't churn some butter, you can't allow the cream to rise to the top. And there are definitely some creamy places rising. That doesn't sound right at all. That's a terrible metaphor. God, whatever. Uh, and then informed consumers. I mean, you're listening now. There's a shit ton of information out there, and that is incredible. I think getting informed bud tenders is also going to be a must, um, but it's a work in progress. And there are consumers who also just don't give a fuck either. They really just enjoy the experience of being able to retail their marijuana and power to them. That's cool. Some people don't care what kind of beer you give them. You know, there's always going to be... Uh, that that median and there should be i think that that makes a healthy market and so to me i mean when it comes to safe access those are the three things that i think of the most that safe access means to me that i have gained the most from safe access information legal protection a sense of security legal wise and, and just access, access to things that actually allow me to optimize my health. And it really is worth fighting for. So if you have not yet written to your local or state representatives, now's the time to do so. All right. Now, now, yeah, start opening up. Don't worry, I'll wrap it up, you guys. Thanks for spliffing it. See you next week. Ciao for now. It's as easy as Google, you guys. FYI, in case you were wondering, because I know I kind of like just threw it out there and left it hanging, my meeting with my daughter was amazing. And we haven't seen each other for years because we have an open adoption. And it was one of the best decisions of my life. And we're super excited that we've reconnected. And, uh, and she's really lucky that, uh, she's so big and grown because otherwise I probably wouldn't have let her go, but love you, baby girl. And I can't wait to see more of her.